1: The latest RotoWire Roundtable Baseball rankings are up on the site right now. Here to help me discuss those is Eric Halterman, RotoWire's baseball editor, coming up next on the RotoWire Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Welcome everybody to the rotowire Fantasy Baseball podcast. Jeff Erickson here with Eric Alterman. Uh, we are brought to you by the good folks at Fantrax. all draft season. If you've got a dynasty league, FanTracks is great. They've got every single player in their database. You could possibly imagine. Uh it's a great site. Tout Wars online drafts also run on FanTracks. We heartily endorse them and we thank them for their sponsorship. I'm Jeff Erickson here with Eric Alterman. Eric, how you doing?
0: I'm doing well. Nice to get a chance to talk to you again. We uh Been over some of our rankings just before we uh, came out with the latest update on the radio. So good to uh, touch base after it's all done over here.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, And there's there's a lot going on. Uh, We are a week away from pitchers and cashers reporting. We have a bunch of free agents still out there. Uh, I think it, you know, it's, uh, you know, I thought that, you know, usually we'd be back to a normal, like, spring training cycle. You know, no lockout, anything like this. I find it to be an unusual number of free agents out there given the labor piece, given that there's no other extraneous circumstances uh, to keep uh, keep players from signing.
0: Yeah, I think that's true. And how much do you think that has to do with the fact that two of the top free agents on this year's market, two of the top guys who are still out there as well are just weird, right? Blake Snell yeah. and Cody Bellinger, both of them coming right. off of very good, but good in a weird way type seasons. I think if Blake Snell was a normal defending Cy Young, he would be signed by now on huge money, right? Normally, if you hit free agency at the perfect time and you had a, a dominant season and it's a dominant season of the type that people understand and of the type that people have seen before, we know what happens. You get paid a ton. And Snell may still get paid a ton, but I don't think it surprises me that it's taken teams another month to convince themselves that, you know what, even though he did walk all those guys last year and even though he isn't, a Cy Young candidate every year, we still really want Blake Snell. I think he's harder to talk yourself into than the equivalently projected pitchers uh, in previous off-seasons. Especially for for the years. Yeah, Yeah.
1: especially, you know, I I could see like a high average annual value. It's the years that I think would be a sticking point. I actually think there's probably some teams also that are just like, no, we're out on him. Uh, So he probably has a smaller pool to draw from in the first place too.
0: Yeah, right. And with the years, you're more comfortable giving a longer deal again to a guy you understand, right? I think that it just Mm -hmm. doubles down on the same problem. I think I'm pretty sure that Blake Snell is going to be good next year. I think, I mean, I've ranked him high enough that I think he's going to be good. I don't know exactly how well he's going to be able to repeat those dominant numbers with such a weird outlier walk rate. But man, that starts to become more and more of a problem as he ages, as his velocity dips. If that strikeout rate comes down into the high 20s and he still has these high walk rates, suddenly we're not talking about a guy who's dripped from an ace to a number two. We're talking about a guy who's pretty shaky and I'm not very confident running him out there, right? So I think he's exactly the type of guy who exactly this sort of thing was going to happen to.
1: We are all over the map on Blake Snell too in the latest roundtable rankings. Uh, you have him at fifty-four. Clay Link's got him at forty-seven. I'm at eighty-six. Todd Zola's is at one twenty-eight. So I mean that that's a pretty wide range uh, variance there. And it, I mean he's a he's a variant pitcher, so it makes sense. I understand completely, but uh, nonetheless, I think it's still noteworthy there. Uh, that we're, we're kind of looking at that if you look at like the last months of ADP on uh, the NFBC, which I just love that you can ser- uh, search under like any date, any type of draft. I mean, it's such a great search tool in addition to just being reliable set of rankings. Uh, he's 66 in the NFBC in the last month, but a range of 39 to 91. So Todd Zola is never getting him. I'm most likely not getting him. And I'll, I'll admit I recently moved him down some too.
0: Yeah, I did the same. I think I was more high on him. I think I was in the 40s and I didn't really want to be, right? Sometimes that happens when you make, especially this year, because we started our roundtable earlier, right? We brought them out in November rather than say around this time. It meant there's just more time to see how the rest of the market develops on a player. And I think when I set down my initial rankings, this is where it felt like a defending Cy Young that strikes out you know, over 30% of batters every single year should go even with those control questions. Then it turns out, well, looks like everybody else is about 20 picks behind. And if you didn't intend to be high on a player, I think you got to move him from where he initially fell on your rankings. I think the rest of the world is telling you, Hey, probably take a deeper dive. You're, you're off by something here.
1: Yeah. The funny thing is with Snell and with Bellinger, I, I haven't even heard any buzz. Like I haven't heard like, uh, Oh, he's this close to signing or he was he was going to, you know, he was close close here and then was going to. Um, I, I haven't heard anything about that there. Um, you know, I, I, you know, there, there's teams or there's an obvious place where he could sign. Uh, but we haven't even heard that buzz like the Giants. he could go to the Giants and it would be an immediate improvement. The Mets could use him, although the Mets. I don't know what the Mets are trying to do this year. So that's that's one of those other things there. Uh, you know, he was trending a little bit the other day because Trevor Bauer is trending, and Trevor Bauer tweeted about how Blake Snell's gonna get it, but I'll take the league minimum and all that. It was never there was never any like, okay, they're close to signing him.
0: Right. Yeah, there's some rumors that I was seeing, and the Cubs fans seem to be worried that Bellinger was getting offers from the Phillies. I, I wasn't really seeing that as something that was very likely to happen. I think most of the Cubs fans are seeing every possibility that he might go somewhere else as man. Come on. Are we really going to lose another? The Cubs really want to take that step forward. I mean, you saw the Dakota standings came out the other day and the entire NL central feels like they're projected for just about 80 wins. So the Cubs bringing Bellinger back, that would be huge with how tight that division is. And I think, he is another one where the contract he signs is going to be something of a signal for how we should feel about him. And specifically, I think if the Cubs show the world that they're confident giving Cody Bellinger a big long-term contract, then I'm going to feel just a little bit better about him. Maybe that's dumb, but I think that again, he's coming off just such a strange, not just one season, but one of the weirdest career arcs. Yeah, that I can remember absolutely. in my time, baseball, given how good he was, to how bad he was and then how long it took him to get good again. And then the shape of what he looks like now that he's good again, he had plenty of homers, but didn't actually hit the ball that hard. Suddenly he's a contact hitter, except with some homers, but we don't think those are necessarily going to stick around. If the Cubs show us, Hey, we buy into Cody Bellinger. We've seen him the last year. We think that what he's doing works and will continue to work. I'll have a little bit more faith, but the longer he stays out there, the more I have to assume that, every other team is not really convinced that Cody Bellinger is the guy either.
1: Yeah. I'm actually a high man on belly. Um, I didn't, I didn't expect to be or want to be. It's not like I'm like planning my Bellinger flag and saying, yes, got to go get him. I'm kind of around ADP is the way I'm looking at it there. But uh, I don't know. It's, it's weird. High BABIP career, high BABIP career, worst in barrel rate, but such better K numbers that you just, it's just, He's a confounding picture. And we talked about him at first pitch Arizona and I, I didn't know what quite to make out of him there. 82.6% contact rate. He's never come, you know, in the 2019, 2020, the Dodgers, he came close to that. But then he, the two previous years, he was down at 70%. Um, to 2021. It was like one of the all time unlucky seasons. He had a 196 Babbitt that year, which is just insane. Uh, just, I, I, I really don't know what to make out of him I and mean, i granted he was coming off the shoulder injury and i think that's probably a good part of good thing he only played 95 games that year so that's probably speaks to that i should probably just even write off 2021 entirely
0: yeah but then the fact they didn't come all the way back in 2022 is what made yeah. it harder to do right if yep. if he was so down in 2021 and then was maybe a 110 wrc plus in 2022 we say all right he came most of the way back but no he was at an 83. In 2022, So if that was still lingering shoulder, I guess, I mean, maybe his injury was of such a type that he was able to play, but he just wasn't himself for so long. But judging by how hard he's hitting the ball now, it was his career worst hard hit rate by a quite a bit yeah. last year, by three percentage points over that 2021 season and by about seven over every other year. So is he even all the way back in that shoulder? I, I just don't know. That said, you know, he's probably going to steal. Fifteen to twenty bases. So how good does the bat need to be to justify a pretty high pick, given that there's the upside that maybe he is just fine. So I get why people are still in on him. If he didn't get the speed back last year, it'd be really hard to draft Mm -hmm. him where he's going. But man, I I don't know. I think let let's see that contract. And if it's big, I think I'm probably moving him up five to ten spots. And if it's one of those, hey, three year deal with opt-outs after the first and second, then I think I think that'll be telling us something.
1: Yeah. I almost want him to sign that though. If I have him, um, yep. I, I, I want him to have to prove himself again. I think he's a prime candidate for, uh, Rick and Glenn, uh, Rick Wolf and Glenn Colton and never signing a guy off of his career. If he gets, if he gets paid, you know, he strikes me as that guy. The funny thing is his fly ball percentage was down last year. Bellinger's was, and he's at, but it was still 43.4%. It's still very high fly ball, percentage, right. even if it being down, which is kind of interesting. I want him to sign in Chicago if I have yeah. if, if I have him in a dynasty or keeper league, that's where I want him to land is stay home, be comfortable.
0: Yeah, and if he's a guy who needs an environment to that's like well conducive for him to perform well, for him to hit the way he wants to. I I could see that being the case. And it seems like judging by his numbers last year, he was happy in Chicago. So I think that would make sense. If you drafted him already, that's what I'd be rooting for too. Yeah.
1: Switching up the order of our outline a little bit. We just kind of went down the uh, path of free agents here. You know, there's there's others, too. I mean, there are at least like seven or eight guys I think are viable. Snell, Bellinger, Jordan Montgomery, Matt Chapman, J.D. Martinez, Jorge Soler. There's two shortstops, Ahmed Rosario and Timmy Anderson. So that's eight right there. Uh, you know, you can argue unviable uh, on the on a couple of these cases here. But Jordan Montgomery, really, you would think he improved his his status, his stock uh, with uh, his run with the Rangers, maybe he's overplaying his hand. What do, What's your take on Jordan Montgomery?
0: Yeah, it's possible that the fact that he's still out there is because there's disagreement as to just how far he's improved his status, I suppose. I mean, he's had ERAs under 350 the last two years, but his expected ERA both those years was right at four. So I could see teams and his agent differing on exactly how good he is. Uh, he is someone for whom it's going to matter where he lands, I think, because he just doesn't get that many strikeouts. 21 point something percent each of the last two years isn't bad. He's not going to be a zero there, but compared to other pitchers who are about as good as he is, he allows more contact. So if he lands in a larger park, I think that should move him up a few spots. If he lands in a small park, I think that's going to move him down. I think that's in contrast to somebody like a Blake Snell, given that Blake Snell's game is so strikeout based. You're going to get strikeouts wherever you are. I know that Todd Zola will chime in and say that there are strikeout park factors. Those are true, but true. Generally speaking, if you're never letting a guy put the ball in play, it doesn't matter nearly as much where you're playing. So something to keep an eye on with Montgomery for sure.
1: Yeah, with Texas, two seventy nine one hundred nine. That that really worked out pretty well. With St. Louis is three forty two one twenty five. But the year before or after the trade to St. Louis, he was pretty damn good. So. You know, it, it's one of those where I don't think St. Louis was necessarily holding him back. Uh, I do like that he now seems to be quasi-safe. You know, he, he seems like a guy that we can get 180 innings out of. Um, and that's something I like.
0: Yeah, I mean, just goes to show what, what is durability with pitchers. What, what do we know yeah. there? He had the right. Tommy John, so for a few years, I guess he's an injury risk. But 2021, 30 starts. 2022, 32 starts. 2023, 32 starts. So... Just because you've been injured before doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be injured again. Of course, for all we know, he could get hurt in April and go down for the entire year. So maybe that's past surgery is affecting his potential contract, given that he's you know heading into his age 31 season. Do you want to give six, seven, eight years to a guy who's had the surgery? But are you going to find a pitcher who hasn't at this point? So I think at this year, I think by now is enough years removed that he counts as as durable as you're going to hope for.
1: Yeah, uh, agreed. Uh, you and I are at, on the low end on Jordan Montgomery. Um, you, you know, you've got him. I think at one eighty two. Uh, yeah, I've got him uh, at one fifty three. Todd Zola's got him at ninety five. So again, good size, good amount of variance there. Uh, and it, I think it goes back to strikeouts. If I'm going to be, I don't want to spend a top one hundred pick on a pitcher that's not getting me above average strikeouts. So, but then again, maybe you get there on volume. Maybe he goes deeper in the game. So he comes a little closer to that. I don't know. It's, it's an interesting debate. Uh, next, next guy on our list, Matt Chapman, Matt Chapman, uh, you know, kind of, you know, he of the hard hit rate early and the massive slump late. I, I haven't heard a whole lot of buzz on Matt Chapman. Again, another non-buzzy guy.
0: Yeah, and is it because he's also an unusual player? In his case, I guess it's because he's defense first. So with a defense first guy heading into his age 31 season, again, if you're paying him for what his overall war has been, he's almost a four war guy every year. That's a you know a perennial all-star. That's a guy who gets paid quite a ton of money. That's a guy who's a lot better in real life than in fantasy too. But mm-hmm. if he's glove first, needs his athleticism, how much are you going to rely on that? heading into his thirties. And of course his bat has always been weird too. He's always been pretty all in on power. So he's somebody that I could see teams not trusting nearly as much, even though he pretty much always ends up. I mean, every single year he's been a technically above average hitter by WRC plus. He was only at one Oh one a few years ago, Mm -hmm. but pretty much every year he's between a a and 120 while playing good defense. The end result ends up remarkably stable for Chapman. But I don't think it's such a surprise that teams aren't totally bought in on him as a safe guy either. I mean, it's this is what happens when your free agency system is set up so that people hit it when they're 29, 30, 31. Everybody's entering that stage of their career where they're a little bit less trustworthy. But, hey, they've been worth paying a ton of money to the last few years. So naturally, they want a ton of money. And I think that's what happens with baseball system the way it is. I think it shouldn't surprise us that we keep getting these, uh, interesting players who are still sitting on the market into February.
1: You know, he, ever since he had his hip labrum injury in, in 2020, he hasn't been the same hitter. I, I, you know, if you, I think there's a pretty straight line 2020, you know, he, he had the 811 OPS had, you know, he played 37 games. Granted that was the COVID year could have only played 60, but only played 37 had hip labrum surgery, was able to play last three years, a lot of games. But he's never topped 750 in, in OPS since. And this, despite being in Toronto instead of Oakland, I don't know. Man, I mean, I can see why people are hesitant to kind of spend on him and free agency.
0: Yeah. I mean, if he's one eighteen WRC plus two years ago, down to 110 last year, I mean, sounds like he might hit 102 this year and then 94 next year. And suddenly you might be paying a lot of money to a guy who just isn't actually pulling his weight at the plate.
1: Yeah. Uh, we got other other free agents here. Uh, tell me which of these interest you the most: JD Martinez, Jorge Soler, Ahmad Rosario, Tim Anderson. I I I just noticed Whit Merrifield hanging around out there too. Uh, maybe more relevant fantasy wise than real life. He's the anti-Chapman there, uh, because of his speed. But uh, of those five, who's the one that you're kind of waiting for to see? You know where he signs. Who are you most interested in?
0: Probably most interested would be either. Solaire probably Soler or Martinez they're the two biggest bats if they land in a good park with a good lineup you know the type of situation where a big bat can do even more damage uh, I'd be particularly excited about them but I think the most interesting guy to follow in that group is Tim Anderson because of his collapse last year I think if Tim Anderson lands with a team that has a reputation for being smart we will assume that the signing was probably a good idea and that they see some bounce back potential of course with his injuries, there's every chance that there isn't bounce back potential there. And so that means if he signs with, you know, the classic organization that signs whoever's left at the end of the year and we all wonder why they did that. If he signs one of those deals, I, I do not want any part in Tim Anderson. I don't know yeah. who that smart team would be. And what if he ends up with like the Rays on a one year bounce back prove it kind of deal? Then all of a sudden I think your eyes are open to being like, hey, if the Rays see something here, I should probably be in. But if yeah, both the Florida Angels, yeah. You know.
1: Both Florida teams have openings at shortstop. Yeah. You know, both of those teams, I I could see them like, hey, let let let's just jump on that. Obviously with the uh, Rays, I mean, they, their hand was forced with the Wander Franco situation there. Um with the uh with the Marlins, I mean, they're just forced by their own inaction. I mean, maybe the Rays just go with Commonero at shortstop. I mean, it could happen. You know, some sort of combination of Camonero and and Walls, and you know, they 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 don't think arrow, they don't uh, like Walls isn't probably going to be ready because of the hip. Probably not expected to be ready for opening day. But arrow, you know, will they give it to him right away? Or are they going to make him go back down to Triple A? I mean, he's he's still only twenty. You know, it doesn't turn twenty one until July. So I know they've been pretty you know, you know, reticent to really hand over the keys to their prospects right away.
0: Yeah, I was just checking how we have the depth charts over at Rotowire, and we've got the shortstop right now as Jose Caballero, who they got in that trade with Seattle. I doubt he's locked in as an everyday starter there, so that competition's not very hard right now for Camonero to grab the spot, but I think you're absolutely right that that would be not particularly raise like for them to say, hey, young guy, it's it's all yours. We're giving it yeah. to you from opening day.
1: That trade was under slipped under my radar there. The Caballero for Luke Rayleigh. Rayleigh was quietly very good for the Rays last year, but he's also kind of redundant for them. So I get it. But still, uh, did not see, uh, you know, kind of didn't even notice that too closely early on.
0: It's not like the Mariners. Would be the kind of team who would make so many trades that you would miss one, are they? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Good point. Good point indeed. Um, so there you go. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, our uh, differences in the RotoWire Roundtable and talk about some of the players we're not quite certain about. But before we do that, a quick note from our friends at Fantrax Fantrax, they are the most customizable fantasy platform in the industry, offering the greatest fantasy experience for your dynasty, keeper, redraft, and best ball leagues. Are you coming from another service? Fantrax makes it easy. Fantrax can import any of your current leagues and customize if needed. I can attest to that. We, I'm in a, a stratomatic league. 30 teams in this league, and we're porting over to Fantrax this year to do their draft and to run our league there. So we're looking – you know, obviously, you run our own games, but you keep the standings, keep the rosters on Fantrax, and looking forward to doing that this year. They offer the most in-depth player pool in the industry, including minor league players. Uh, They can customize. You name it, they got it covered, including Strat Leagues, if you're into that sort of thing. And it's all free. Sign up for free today and be entered to win an official MLB signed jersey from Vladimir Guerrero, Jr., just simply go to fantrax.com slash rotowire and sign up today. That's f a n t r a x dot com slash rotowire. Fantrax, the home of fantasy sports. Jeff Erickson here with Eric Halterman. We're also on the Blue Wire Network. Here are their ads.
0: Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down.
1: If you are listening live or streaming live with us, thanks for your indulgence there. If you're listening on the podcast and you just heard the, the ads for Blue Wire, thank you also. And thanks, Blue Wire, for hosting. Here with Eric Alterman, I'm Jeff Erickson. The latest RotoWire Roundtable rankings are up on the site right now at RotoWire.com. You can check them out. It's a free trial, RotoWire.com slash pod. No credit cards required. Just take a peek behind the paywall uh, for a couple of days. We know you're going to want to subscribe, but this gives you a taste first there. We're, we're insidious that way. We give you a taste make you want to subscribe uh eric let's talk about some of the players that uh, we may have some differences on or ones we're not sure about and i brought up cj abrams as our launch point here is a guy that i'm not quite sure about i turns out i i thought i was low man and it turns out i'm second uh, you're the low man at 31 which is actually more in line with where i've seen him gone uh going drafts lately but i'm at 52 clay's at 80 todd's at 64 His profile is weird. I I just don't know what to make out of C.J. CJ Abrams. So as the high man on the board, you tell me more about him Why you're on him.
0: So there's two different directions I think we could go to with this. The first is he's going to run a ton, regardless of anything, any development with the bat. We can talk about that in a second. He's going to run a ton, and we still need guys who run a ton. I think that I've observed so far in the drafts that I've been in These guys who five years ago, everybody in the fantasy community was loving the the players who are clearly you're drafting them for their speed, they may or may not do some other things, but they are the 40, 50, 60 steals and who knows what else you're going to get kind of guys. You still need those players, even in a world where everybody's stealing more bases. You need these guys maybe even more because you need to get more stolen bases, or if you don't need them more, you at least need them just as much as you did. Maybe the guys who used to steal 30 are now stealing 40, but you still need those same players in the way you did before. So I think the C.J. Abrams equivalent from five years ago, I think this is where he'd be going in drafts, even if the projection systems don't necessarily have him going that high. I was looking at where ATC had him. Uh, He was, I think, just inside the top 80, maybe. So that makes your rankings make sense from that direction. But we've always pushed up the speed guys ahead of where the projections go. That That's how fantasy baseball has always worked. You could say that I don't do that and I just am not going to get as much speed as other guys. I'm going to draft for straight value. Then don't go for C.J. Abrams. But that's the first angle is that this is just, I think, how fantasy baseball has always worked and should work. But the second angle is he might actually turn into an all-around player who does more than just run. And he might do that pretty soon. I mean, he was a huge prospect both in fantasy and in real life. I was looking at his Fangraphs prospect profile. They give him future 50 game power. So he had 18 homers last year, despite not a very high hard hit rate. So if you're looking at that and saying, well, he might be only 12 homers next year. This is a young player who was projected to eventually get to average power. So I don't think it's at all crazy for him to take a step forward from, he was a 90 WRC plus last year. If he gets up to around 100 this year, or even a little bit above adds a little bit more pop, I think that's not at all hard to imagine. And again, even if he doesn't, then we go back to the first point, is you always had to draft these guys super high. I think that's still the case.
1: Yeah, I'm having a hard time reconciling here because like, straight up on my projection using uh, our custom uh, custom projections tool, Rotoar, he ranks as 96 for me. I've obviously got him higher than that, in part because of the speed, in part, I don't know. I just... I have, I, I have a fear that, okay, this is, he did this at age 22. He's a pedigreed prospect. So much speed there. I I don't think he's Billy Hamilton. Like you said, he did hit 18 homers. Yet I've, I've actually got him regressing a little bit in my power this year. So, uh, you know, our, our Outlook talks about his StatCast page and how it's icy blue. I mean, that's like scary. I mean, I this is one of those guys I don't have yet. I didn't have last year. I am ha- struggling with him. Um, I can't, I have a hard time getting past the, the notion that he's just not a good hitter in real life. I, he might be a better fantasy player than hitter. And I might have to have to, you know, power past that I so especially if I need speed. The thing is, I don't want to pay that third round price for him. Um, I, I just, I, I want to get complete players. He, he's, I'm not going to get, that means I'm not going to get him, but I could regret that. I regretted it last year. I mean. The fact is, you won last year if you had C.J. Abrams, if you took him. Now, you're baking in that a little bit more. ADP in the last month is 39, a range of 21 to 64.
0: Yeah, I think that I want to make a point on that icy blue thing, because I think that will affect how you view C.J. Abrams as bat. I think if you look at yeah. the the lollipops, as they call them, on the Statcast pages, and just look for the blue and the red, you're going to see all the different numbers of blue, all the different types of blue, a lot of them are saying kind of the same thing. And the fact that you're getting his his percentile ranking in things like barrel rate may actually throw you off. If you look at his actual barrel rate last year, 6.9%, so effectively 7%. League average barrel rate last year, 8.1%, so effectively 8%. So he's one percentage point below league average in barrel rate, or Uh 1.2 percentage points. So if you look at it from that perspective, similar thing you could do with hard hit rate. He was at 35.7. League average was 39.2. So we're talking three and a half points below league average. I'm not saying he's a good hitter who makes good quality of contact, but that's really not that far from league average. When you combine that with the fact that he had a 19% strikeout rate, which is better than league average by a few points. I, I think that the the lollipop based approach, I think is going to actually overstate how bad abrams's bat is i think abrams's bat really last year was only slightly worse than average and i don't think it's that much of a, a stretch for him to get to a league average hitter given his talent and given his age
1: yeah i guess so um i yeah i don't know uh i guess and i guess also it depends on what's your plan like what are you how are you going to address stolen bases I think if you start off with Acuna, you start off with, uh, you know, even Witt or Carroll, you you can easily pass by him um, and say, okay, well, I'm fine. You start off Freddie Freeman, you know, now all of a sudden you're that's more in the equation, you know, not to diminish free what freedom uh, Freeman did on the base pass last year or Mookie for that matter. But they're not huge stolen bases. You're not going to get 40 stolen bases from those guys. So you need to address it. And we, we know we need more stolen bases. Maybe, you know, you start off with Trey Turner. Okay, well, then maybe you don't need Abrams. Again, same position too. Uh, another reason why you wouldn't go that route. But there, there's, I think a lot of it's in conjunction. And you certainly, if you start off with Spencer Strider, yeah, you know, CJ Abrams has to be in your calculus. You have to think about, okay, well, he's got to be someone I consider.
0: Yeah, although, of course, if you're taking no pitcher or no hitter in the first round when, 13 or 14 other people are taking a hitter and then you're getting a hitter who's going to be worse than every other hitter in his round, in the power numbers in the RBI, then that, that might be a little tough, but he certainly yep. will make up for the fact that you've got no steals.
1: Yeah. I don't want Estuary Ruiz. I'm trying to avoid the stolen base only guys. Uh, mm-hmm. I want him to be able to do something. At least Abrams does something.
0: Yeah. Yeah. With Ruiz, I think if he wasn't on Oakland, I might be hard avoiding him because there's too much Malik Smith potential there, right? With a guy who steals a ton, so you assume he's going to steal a ton next year, but he also mm-hmm. can't really hit, so he might not keep playing and might not keep getting the chances to run. I think in Oakland, Astoria Ruiz is going to be fine because who else is going to play? Uh, and so I think I'm okay with him, but I, I see what you mean. It's not as if He's got a lot else going on, and a lot of reason for confidence in him as an overall baseball player. That's for sure.
1: The trade-off, of course, though, if, if he's in Oakland, then he's going. His counting stats are going to stink because you know the lineup around him is bad. I mean, I like Geloff. I like Langoliers. You know, you could squint and make a case for Rooker, or uh, well, God, I'm already stopping here. But if you're, uh, if
0: you're squinting by the third hitter you've named, then I think yeah. that's a problem.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um but uh yeah, that, that, I mean it's just not going to get better for a while there too. That's the sad part about that. Um all right, let's uh, move on to our next hitter of disagreement or at least variance. Evan Carter. And I like Evan Carter. I know we I, th- I I I may just be I'm looking to see where why we're all yeah, I'm you're you're lower on you're you're definitely a low man here at 146. I'm middle at 97 zola's at 52 i i just i mean i i want i i get the idea that you know you don't want to jump on a guy that has just had like a month of stats i get it there at the same time i just think between the prospect pedig- pedigree the batting eye um his his some speed there I, there's a lot for me to like and a great lineup around him
0: yeah, I, I'm open to the fact that I might just be whiffing on a guy who could just go off this year. But it's between the fact that his sample size was so short, uh, just 23 regular season games, and then a 32% strikeout rate in yeah. those games. I would not normally, under any other circumstances, even consider a guy who had those numbers uh, in the range that Evan is going. So I think the fact that he's going there... I guess everybody else is aware that this is true of Evan Carter too, right? It's not like every Evan Carter drafter takes him and then learns, wait a second, he's only played 23 games. So that this is it's baked in. I get that. I'm just pretty nervous. And if we're talking as high as he's going, well 120, you that's in a range where you do pretty much need your players to be good. You you don't want to be having too many misses at that point maybe though i should just have a lot more confidence in carter partially that high strikeout rate seems to be an approach and not an inability to make contact when you combine that high strikeout rate with a very high walk rate uh, he has a 16 percent walk rate in his brief mm-hmm. debut and consistently very high walk rates without actually very high strikeout rates in the minors so maybe this is the sort of strikeout rate where I shouldn't be worried. It's just this is the sign of a guy running deep counts. And hey, if you run deep counts, you're going to strike out some. But you're also going to get on base a ton. Maybe the fact that it's such a small sample, uh, I'm just missing out on something there. And given all the good reports about him and all the other good things in his profile, maybe I should be in. Although also, as is pointed out by our commented there, the uh, stats against lefties, very shaky. So if there's a world in which he ends up more like say a James Outman or a Jack Swinski from last year, some breakout guys who you got way later in the draft, they had strikeout problems, but real power and some speed and issues against lefties. If he only has a season that's as good as theirs, I don't think that would surprise me at all.
1: Potential platoon problems too. He may just not face them. And that's the right. thing you have to worry about yeah. there. You only at the big league level, only 11 of plate appearances. Thanks PJ for your comments in the forum about that. Um, man though. I mean, it's just so, like, Every time I watch a bat of his, you know, the broadcasters are like, yeah, he'll work that count to the three ball count almost every time. So, of course, it makes sense that his walk and K percentages are through the roof. Uh, it does make sense a little bit there. I mean, and that could be a source of frustration. You don't I mean, it's good in real life that he's taking walks, not always good in fantasy. You want him sometimes put that bat on the ball. But the speed, the power, um, I, I like there's a lot of things to like about him.
0: Oh, we lost Jeff for a minute. So I'll, I'll riff on Evan Carter until he gets back. Oh, we've got him back. That was I exciting.
1: The wrong screen. I was toggling back. And I wanted to go backspace on the Carter, my Carter page, but I, that was in the stream page. Fun, fun tech talk. I there. thought I had
0: just said something so bad that you just decided no. to end the pod mid show.
1: No, no, no. But, uh, I might cut down on my playing time projection for Evan Carter, because I think the platoon potential is high. Um, I, I think that's something I don't think I, I took into enough account there. So that is something where I think I will probably cut, I'm going to probably cut down his plate appearances just a little bit there.
0: Yeah. And if Wyatt Langford is up right away and he may well be, he's incredibly exciting. Young outfielder there is going mm-hmm. in a similar range of the draft too. Uh, he's a righty, uh, Adolis Garcia, a righty, Leo de Tavares, a switch hitter. So that could be the default outfield against lefties. They don't need Evan Carter. Uh, I don't know if they're going to say, hey, we want Evan Carter to play every day in three years, so he has to play every day now to learn to hit lefties. Usually fans want teams to do that, right? And teams aren't always all that willing to do it. Uh, So I think it's going to depend partially on, yeah, are we seeing noise that Langford's definitely coming up? And then I think we're going to probably get some hints, right? This seems like the kind of thing. That the Rangers will touch on in the early spring training press conferences. Hey, is Evan Carter an everyday player or is he just a platoon guy? So I think that's hopefully some news we can expect to hear in a week or two.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I, I I'm I am going to cut down a little bit on his playing time, which means I probably will move him down like a round or so. Uh that's that's probably the way I lean on that one there. All right. Next player on our list, Nolan Jones, Colorado Rockies had a breakout year. Uh very tough guy to value because First of all, the Rockies are terrible. They're they're just a horrible team. They're dumb. They always, you know, I always make the joke. They're they're the team that eats paste in the corner over there. I mean, they're just uh, everything they do is wrong. But Nolan Jones did a lot of things right. You've got him at forty eight. I've got him at ninety one. I don't hate Nolan Jones. I hate the Rockies. I don't hate their ballpark, but I just ugh. I I have a but then again, he went twenty twenty last year and hit two ninety seven. So. I don't know. I, I mean, I, I could be missing the boat on this one here. Maybe it's just I, I, don't, I want it. I'm trying so hard to be a, a sharp that I'm actually being the square here. I don't know. What do you what say you on Nolan Jones?
0: Yeah, this is an interesting one. I think of the four of us on the round table, I'm the only one who has Jones near his ADP. I think the rest of you are all pretty similar. Uh, a few rounds behind me. And so that makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable, but I think the rest of the world is right on this one. I mean, Nolan Jones is a a quintessential fantasy hitter. It does not get more fantasy baseball than Nolan Jones. He plays in Coors Field. He's got power and he's got speed. And hey, he's got some contact questions too. That seems to come with every single player who's particularly good in fantasy. But he is well more than good enough to overcome those contact concerns for me. Uh, the list of players who had a barrel rate over 15% while stealing at least 20 bases last year, it's Shohei Otani, Ronald Acuna, Luis Robert, and Nolan Jones. So pretty pretty excellent company there. Yeah. Uh, again, that's a 15% barrel rate. This is a very loud contact, not just a guy who has good power. Very loud contact. Seems like he has some speed. Uh, I don't think that speed was in his scouting reports, but if he's stolen 20, you know, he's got to at least have the ability to steal 10 again next year. And hey, even that strikeout rate, which is a problem, it trended in the right direction after the break. He was about 33% in the first half, 28% in the second half. So if he stays in that 28% range, I think I'm going to be very happy with how he's ranked. I don't think he's going to repeat that 290 batting average again. I think that's going to come down even with Coors Field, I think given how often he strikes out. But if that comes down 250, 260, there's enough power and speed there that I think where he's going... According to the rest of the market, I think I'm comfortable keeping him ranked there.
1: I've got him at uh, 273 this year. Uh, as pointed out in the comments, the, the the BABIP is huge. 401 BABIP, I think. Um, you know, that that certainly doesn't hold. I, although I will say the high barrel rate, the high exit velocity, the hard hit rate, that portends a high BABIP usually.
0: As does playing in Coors Field, right? The outfield is so right. big. This Some people get it wrong and think that Coors Field is extremely, extremely a home run park. It's definitely a home run park, but what it's more of is a batting average park because it yes. makes the outfield so big to stop it from being the most ridiculous home run park ever. And that means there's so many spaces for gappers to fall. So you should expect a high BABIP. You should definitely not expect a 401 from Nolan Jones. But all of the projections over at Fangraphs, the lowest one I'm seeing is 345 from the bat X. That is crazy that the projected batting average on balls in play would be around 350. So when yeah. when you regress that for Nolan Jones, just make sure you're not regressing it too much.
1: Yeah, that, that's right. Um, now I got to look and see what I, I, I my projected BABIP is 368. So yeah, there you go. Yeah. Um, And that that gives him a 273 batting average, by the way. So for whatever that's worth. Yeah, I I, I mean, I, I'm not like vehemently anti-Nolan Jones. I almost feel like I'm just trying to avoid being like the the dumb guy. But uh, maybe yeah. I, by by doing so, I am the dumb guy. I don't know. Uh, let's move over to pitchers. Uh, Christian Javier, when we last saw him, he got bombed in his last game uh, in, in the playoffs uh, against the Rangers. He, he had had a great playoffs until then and then got actually, absolutely gobsmacked by the Rangers. You are all the way out on Christian Javier at 274.
0: Yeah, and you know, the funny thing is I looked at where ATC had him, and I'm actually high on Christian Javier compared to ATC, uh, who I think had him outside the top 300 by the numbers when I put him in. Christian Javier, even when things were working out for him, he was weird, right? He's an extreme outlier in how low his ground ball rate is. It's never been higher than 29%. League average is just a little bit over 40%, and nearly every pitcher's, at least in the mid-30s. So he always seemed a little bit questionable was he going to be able to keep up uh, his high-wire act, basically. And now, last year, suddenly, he lost his strikeout rate, which used to be elite. Suddenly, it collapsed all the way down to average, and his inability to keep the ball on the ground remained. That didn't change at all. So even if he gets some of the strikeouts back, he's still a pitcher that I'd be worried about. And there's a very real chance that he doesn't. Right.
1: Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I, I think I, I'm just, I'm, I'm an error in this one here. I think I'm too high in my rankings. Even my projections agree with me, agree with you. I've got, my mm-hmm. projections have him in the two hundreds. So yeah, I think is he once had a 33% whiff rate. I mean that, you know, a strikeout rate. I mean, that's not a whiff rate. That would be a record. Uh, but, uh, 33 years ago too. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, there's, he, he struggled with his release point. We know that. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, you know, he, he's, these seems like the, there are things that could be fixed. The thing that is tricky is, you know, the walks are always going to be high with him. You know, maybe he just got found out this was the regression and this is his true level. I don't know. I feel like there's some in between there. Uh, but even some in between, I'm probably too high. Maybe I'm just in love with the idea of Christian Javier and the idea that the Astros are smart and will fix them.
0: Yeah, and they might. But even in those first three years, some of the things that typically denote extreme luck were screaming in the case of Christian yeah. Javier. Uh, if you look at his first three years combined, the BABIP he allowed was 223, uh, and his left-on-base rate was yeah. 83.5%. That that one normally is in the low 70s. He was training 83.5% of runners. So obviously some of that was because he was pitching well, but you're not going to keep up those kind of numbers. And even last year, his BABIP was still actually 272. Now, granted that comes with being an extreme fly ball pitcher, Uh, ground ball pitchers run a higher BABIP because ground balls sneak through. You're not really going to sneak through a fly ball. So you should expect him to run a low BABIP. And the projections say he's going to be 270, 280 around there rather than regressing all the way up to 300. Even so, when things are going well for Javier, it looked like he wasn't earning everything that he was getting. So even if you're expecting a bounce back, I would be expecting a bounce back to say uh, his XFIP over those first three years was 404, while his ERA was 305. I I think a bounce back version of Christian Javier has him with an ERA right around four.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I just wrote down Move him down. Move, move Javier down in my next round table ranking. So he will be lower. Gonna win. Regress to what is the question? As always, uh, but I'm moving him down. Tariq Skubal. Everybody loves Tariq Skubal. A uh, very trendy guy right now in drafts. You look at average draft position for Skubel, uh 49. He is being taken awfully early. You know, in the in a, if that's in the main event, that means the fourth round. He's your SP two in many cases. Sometimes even SP one. Uh, are you comfortable with Tariq Skubal being your ace?
0: I think so. I mean, here's the question what What is an injury prone pitcher, and what's a pitcher who just has been injured recently? Because I think the reason Tariq Skubal is getting dinged is because he's viewed as probably injury prone. Because hey, he was he had a major surgery, was it flexor tendon cut off the end of his 2022 season and half of his 2023 season. So that means you're looking at two straight years where he hasn't pitched. He had 21 starts and then 15 starts. So he has never had that full 30-start workload. He reached 29 a few years ago. But if we're calling him just a pitcher who has been injured recently and not one who is a major health risk, whose arm's about to fall off, because, look, he, he's had plenty durable seasons in the past. Uh, again, those 29 starts in 2021. He was at, uh, looks like, 24 in the minors in 2019. So if he's not way more injury-prone than the other pitchers, maybe we'll call him a little bit more because he's had that recent injury. But if we're only saying he's a little bit more of an injury risk than the other guys, then we got to look at just how absurd his numbers are. 33% Mm -hmm. strikeout rate against a 4.5% walk rate last year, and he kept the ball on the ground over half the time. Those are potential best pitcher in baseball numbers if you were to keep that up over the full season. You look at some of like, Garrett Cole's best seasons, Corbin Burns' best seasons. They end mm-hmm. up looking like that. And I know this was only 80 innings for Tariq Skubal. So some of it's 15 starts in the first few of them. He wasn't allowed to go quite as long. So fine. He's not going to quite repeat those numbers. But man, he, he can drop pretty far from those numbers and even still be a pretty fine ace. And if he doesn't drop far from those numbers... There, there's a chance he's the best pitcher in baseball, right? Is that crazy to say?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a lot of ifs. Um,
0: yeah, sure. I, yeah, we're, I, we're the, weighing that in though, right? Against yeah. the risks.
1: I, again, this is one where my rank is higher than my projection, um, so I'm, um, I'm kind of with you. I'm willing to kind of look back. Like the projection is, you know, projections are notoriously calm and temperate, and you know, modest. And that's certainly the case with Scooble. I mean, because it was an eighty-game sample, the you know the previous you know stats are going to carry a little bit more weight, perhaps. Um, can he get? Ex- you know, will he be? Can he throw one hundred and sixty innings? Will he get that? You know, that? Will the Tigers support him? I mean, I think the Tigers are secretly one of those, are a team that everybody points to as their oh, if things go right, this could be a sneaky good team, sort of thing. We heard this last year though. Uh, we heard it the year before, you know. Yeah, at least um, a couple of years. Yeah, and they and to be fair, they have some interesting young parts. Um, yeah. I, I like I like a few of their young players. Torkelson, who doesn't like Torkelson, who doesn't like Kerry Carpenter, I get it. Um, uh, will he get more than like ten or eleven wins though? I don't. I, I probably not. And the funny thing is, when you do projections, you give a guy two extra wins, and that just bumps up his rank by a ton. Uh starting pitcher wins are hard to get now, harder than ever to get. You know, how many times have we seen like, you know, a, they'll, a pitch, a starting pitcher will get third time through the ordered, you know, or, or just, you know, the barely, you know, the first sign of any trouble in that third trip through the order out, they go. Uh, and sometimes they're just even managed and Scooble strikes me as someone that will get managed a little bit in terms of workload that he won't be allowed to go deep into games. So that cuts that, that cuts you down a win or two.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. I was just looking at his game log from last year, his first, seven starts. He never went more than five and a third innings, but that's how his, he was getting ramped back up. But sure. after that, his eight starts or nine, eight or nine starts the rest of the way, it looks like only two of them, he went fewer than six. He consistently okay. was going six or seven down the stretch. So once he was built up, they were using him like a normal starter. And he again, he reached 149 innings in 2021. So, I, you know, if we're in a world where you're not expecting 200, you're expecting 180 from your top guy I think he can get 160 165 and that's not too far behind what you're gonna get from yeah. the other pitchers in that range.
1: another starting pitcher that's a helium guy is the Mariners George Kirby uh, you know the next walkie issues will be like his third of the year um, but uh, you know it, it, he he's a popular in a lot of circles. Uh, including mine. Uh, I've got him at 34. Todd's got him at 28. Uh, you've got him at 46, which really, I mean, that's, it's the difference, but come on at the same time, you know, there, there are, there are drafts where he will slip to 46 and you would probably take him there. I'm guessing.
0: Yes. Although I think I had to move him up to get him to 46, but okay. that was after seeing the projections. Just love this guy. ATC, I believe has him as a top 20 player overall. Wow. And, uh, that that was a shock to me. I, I would say where I had him originally, I think, was a little bit past 46. Maybe it was uh, in the low 50s or something. That already felt aggressive to me for a pitcher who is pretty average at strikeouts. He was at 24.5% as a rookie, 227 last year. He's not a hole there, but compared to everyone else's fantasy aces, he is a hole, right? If you're merely a league average or slightly above league average, at strikeouts, whereas the average SP1 is pushing 30% with his strikeout rate. Mm -hmm. You are taking a real hit with George Kirby if you take him as your ace. You're hoping that he more than makes up for it in other areas, and I think the projections are telling us that he's going to. But I think where I initially had him anchored was just, this is where the best pitchers who don't get strikeouts should go. Normally they go, you know, round three, round four. You're very happy with them as your second starter. There haven't been many cases in the past where there have been starters with strikeout rates this low who I'm thrilled to take as my SP1. But maybe that's just because his walk rate is so extreme at 2.5%. You yeah. basically never see guys this low. When he was at 4% as a rookie, that was already you know one of the best you'll ever see. Right. 2.5%, maybe it's just such an outlier that it's breaking my brain and I don't know what to do with it. And maybe he should be going as a top 20 player overall. I don't
1: know. Yeah, I know. Walk percentage is typically better, but I just thought it was not- noteworthy pointing out 0. 0.9 walks per nine. Um, yeah. The next closest was Zach Eflin at 1.2. Uh, so like that just shows that he's just in another tier on all- all some stuff. And a lot of people love Eflin, by the way, too, self-included. Yeah. I think. Um, you know, I it, it's interesting that, you know, with th- this, You mentioned ATC. And one of the things, we have ATC projections on the site now, by the way, folks. So, again, rotowire.com slash pod. And you can look at every player page and see it. We have uh, some places where you can see them as a whole. And I like having it as a comparison there, a contrast. Uh, You know, you can see, well, you know, it's funny. Ariel Cohen's got, you know, ATC has got uh, Kirby as a top 20 overall player. Yet my projection for Kirby is slightly more optimistic than Ariel's um i've got him at 331 ariel's got him at 353 same whip one thing i will say though is kirby is almost certain to give you a good whip and i i can that is a priority for me i the guys that i'm trying to avoid are the ones that you know they may get you a ton of k's but they also have like a 125 129 whip uh because whip is the category that often gets overlooked and that's i feel like that's a hard one to catch up in too so I want to get the my my rotation anchors to have good whips. So Kirby will be a priority for me because of that.
0: Yeah, and what makes that even more important is that he's going to be among the league's innings pitch leaders, I'm sure. He was at yep. 190 last season, uh, given that this will be basically his third full season. I guess he had 25 starts as a rookie. He wasn't up right away. But effectively, this is his third full season. I have no reason to believe they're not going to cut him loose. And when you're talking about those ratio stats you have to care about the denominator, right? You can have as good a whip as you want, but it has to be over a very large denominator, and he's going to be the best combination of whip and innings pitch out there. So certainly, if you're like me and you look at strikeouts first and probably too much, you're going to miss him for that reason. And I'm sure that that explains part of the gap between my rankings and where he's going, according to the projections, according to you and some of the other drafters out there.
1: Com- it's almost as if uh, PJ, our commenter in the forum, has so- seen our outline. Because the next guy on the cl- on our, our list is Dylan Cease. He goes, so Jeff is a huge Dylan Cease guy. Lots of laughs, uh, laugh out loud. Excuse me. I, I always got LOL wrong. It's League of Legends. Lot- I always thought it was lots <laughs> of laughs, but it's laugh out loud. Uh, anyhow, uh, good stuff there. Dylan Cease. I am not a big Dylan Cease guy. You're not a big Dylan Cease guy. I, I would be more on him in a different place. I wouldn't be a moron, I hope, but I would be more on him. Uh, not in a White Sox uniform. And it's been like the least kept secret that he's probably going to get traded at some point in time.
0: Yeah. And right on the whip conversation, man, one forty-two last year, Dylan sees even when he had that very good season, two years ago, it came with a double digit walk rate, which I remember looking at the time. How often do you see a season nearly this good with a double digit walk rate? And it was, Almost never. And then, of course, we got one last year with Blake Snell. Uh, so maybe times are changing. But Blake uh, Dylan Cease showed that he wasn't able to keep it up, that it wasn't a formula that was going to consistently work for him. Of course, the strikeouts did slip by a few percentage points. And I think if you're going to have his control problems, you need to be top of the scale in strikeouts. And he hasn't shown that he's necessarily going to be that guy every year. The uh, projections really didn't like him. And I think it's because of that whip times innings pitched thing. Again, yeah. I, he was outside the top 300, according to the ACC auction calculator when I put it in there. And he's going just outside the top 100 in drafts. I guess the drafters are seeing just a bounce back potential to two years ago. But I think the projections are telling us, remember too, we have to remember how projections are built. They, they're built by saying, well, other players who had career trajectories that looked like yours, this is what they did next season. Yep. Projections are telling us, Well, other pitchers who strike out a lot of guys and occasionally have good ERAs but consistently walk way too many batters, it doesn't really work out for them. So the projections are very down on Dylan Cease. They're down on Blake Snell, who we touched on earlier. Mm -hmm. Also down on Kodai Senga, incidentally, too. I think I'm not a big fan because he walked quite a few batters last year despite having a pretty promising rookie season overall. So I didn't end up in a particularly high place on him uh, for similar logic. Is These guys who walk this many batters, it hasn't really worked out in the past, and it doesn't consistently work out for C as we've seen.
1: So, you know, in yes, you know, Senga is interesting because I have like good vibes, good feels about yeah. Senga. Uh, I, which is I get that. Uh, but 11 walk rate, I mean, that's the third worst among qualified starters. I mean, you're right. I, I guess I, you know, for some reason, I thought that he might have improved on the walks in the second half. I have a theory, um, that foreign pitchers often have, uh, you know, you know, have a bias against them their first year pit umpires haven't seen their arsenal. I, I feel like this Mm -hmm. happened with you Darvish in the gyro ball, um, pitches that other pitches pitch, other pitchers, we'd get the call for a strike, Japanese pitchers, Korean pitchers, you name it, uh, foreign pitchers that umpires haven't seen before don't get that benefit of the doubt. Um, And I think that's one of the things bring back, bring in robot umpires now. And I think someone like Kodai Senga might benefit from that.
0: Yeah, I think that's an interesting case. I don't remember seeing research on umpire bias recently, but I would imagine it falls in the same directions that bias tends to. Uh, And Mm -hmm. looking at Kodai Senga's strikeout or walk rate, it did drop in the second half. He was at 12% in the first half, about 9.5% after the All-Star break, which is still too high but it is trending in the right direction. So if you want to stay on Senga, despite some somewhat shaky projections, because like you said, the vibes are pretty good. It seems like he knows what he's doing up there. I I get the case for not being out on him, but I do think that I am going to remain not particularly in on Dylan Cease.
1: Yeah. I'm in on Senga, not on cease. And if that makes me a hypocrite, so be it. Um, and the other thing about cease too, is you put him on the San Francisco giants and maybe I'll, I'll renew my opinion. Uh, Although yep. Giants low key have a pretty bad rotation, I think feel like, um, you know. But yeah, I just want pitcher. I want players out of that toxic White Sox environment. I think that's really the key there. I don't want. I just don't want any part of the White Sox. I mean, it. I, I had too many of them last year too. AL, my L. Wars team was just strewn with White Sox and. Tim Anderson, Lance Lynn. Wow, I really nailed this one. Eloy. Ooh, another great Erickson's graces. Shockingly enough, did not do well in nailed out wars last year. Not even close to doing well. Um, so team context does matter. Yeah, the White
0: Sox just rapidly becoming one of the saddest organizations around. I remember when I moved to Chicago, I think it was end of 2019, caught a White Sox game late in the season. They were already eliminated, but you know, got those five-dollar whatever dollar dog night, Wednesday tickets in September Caught a game was talking to some white Sox fans in the seats around me. And they were so optimistic and so deservedly so about that young core they had coming through. I was not a white Sox fan, but I was expecting to go to multiple games a year just because it Mm -hmm. was going to be fun on the South side of Chicago for years. And man, it it has been the opposite of fun and and no reason to believe that's going to change anytime soon.
1: Two years ago, they were a huge favorite in the AL central and, they just completely immolated there you know and Giolito had a miserable year miserable two years there uh you could blame, you know it's so funny like i i was in favor of them firing tony larussa i mocked them for signing him in the first place hiring him in the first place but getting rid of him didn't cure any of their ills that's no. for sure
0: yeah yeah and i had no reason at all to believe that there's a sudden turnaround coming there
1: unfortunately indeed indeed I think uh that's a happy note to conclude cl- on here. Uh bashing Yay. the White Sox. Yay. Sorry, White Sox fans, uh fan. Um I, I ho- hope that hope that we didn't offend too much there. But uh hope everybody enjoys this. Uh Eric, thank you for coming on. Had a good time talking with you on that. Yeah,
0: thanks for having me on. Always great chance to talk about the rankings with you.
1: Yep, and check them out for yourself. Rhodawire.com slash pod. Get that free trial peek behind the paywall check out our roundtable rankings among other all of our other great content jason collette todd zola uh Brian roof all with features out lately so check it all out rotowire.com slash pod thanks for everybody for uh listening to the podcast today thanks to fan tracks for their for uh their sponsorship and of course uh we got uh clay up tomorrow so uh thanks to t- make sure to tune in for that as we continue our regular podcast lineup thanks everybody for listening take care